the Sunday Sermons Podcast. The last uh, two months, we've been marinating in the passages that very distinctly tell us what God expects from his people. And these are things that eventually the dream, of course, would be that everybody would treat each other this way. These are ways we, we treat others that are not part of our fellowship as well. But we can't expect non-believers to treat us this way. These one another passages, even in the original Greek word, alelon, it implies there's, there's, we're talking about a cohesive group of people, a family, a team of some sort. Here's how we treat one another. Of course, you treat strangers that way too, but you can't expect them to treat you back that way. You can, and you should. We need to be able to expect one another, a lay loan, to treat each other that way. And I don't use that word marinating lightly. Marinating is a really cool process. How many marinate things when you cook? Bunch of people, good, awesome, because it makes it better. And if you know much about how the science works, I don't, but I know just enough to know this, good marinating sauce doesn't just add flavor. It's not like just putting ketchup on it. It actually breaks down the meat. It breaks down the barriers on the outside. It makes it possible for the stuff to go all the way through. It literally changes it completely. And then when you cook it, every part of that meat makes that wonderful smell go out, makes that wonderful taste come out when you bite into it. It literally changes it. And that's what the scriptures are supposed to do for us. That's what fellowship is supposed to do with us. That's what the Holy Spirit in us is supposed to do with us. We marinate in it. It changes us. And then we just ooze with the fruit of the spirit. We ooze with his love. It just drips out whenever we're squeezed hardest. That's when you see it the most. So that's the dream we've been focusing on. We're going to wrap this up today. In the next several weeks, we're going to be looking at some of our missions and also exploring our mission as a church, exactly what the Bible teaches us the church as one body is supposed to be doing, what the scriptures actually say. And then we're going to try and figure out some very specific details about that, how we here at Morrison Hill in 2024 are going to try to live that out more than ever before. But here we go. You ready for one more, one more trip through the LA loan idea? All right, here we go. First thing, we harmonize with one another. This is one you've already seen before because it's one of the most common ones of all these passages, whether it's Jesus, Paul, Peter, John, whoever else is saying these, this idea of harmony is important. Let's say this together. We harmonize with one another. The idea is that every single one of us has a very specific and very vital part to play, just like every part of our bodies have a very specific and vital part to play. And God's will gets done best when we all play those parts and we all play them well and we trust each other to let the other people do their part so that we can fully do our part. Romans 12 verse 18 says, Live, I'm sorry, I can't read that. 16, there it is. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. That Greek word that we translate lowly sometimes, if you look in other translations, this one happens to be today the ESV again. But if you, if you, look, in, if you look at that in other translations, sometimes it says humble. And the reason is, again, Here's another Greek word that doesn't have an exact equivalent in English. It doesn't mean lowly as in there's something wrong. 
It doesn't mean like they've been humbled by someone else. These are people who are team players. They are people who aren't trying to get to the top of the heap all the time. And he said, basically what he's saying is, live in harmony with one another. Don't be the one who's trying to scramble to the top of the heap all the time. Associate with people who aren't always trying to scramble to the top of the heap. Never be wise in your own sight. If we go through life judgmentally, if we go through life just condemning everybody else, we're miserable. It doesn't change them at all. If we allow the Holy Spirit and the teachings of Jesus and everything else that he's leading us to do to just marinate in us, eventually that bleeds out and there's a chance that that could influence the people around us. One of my favorite bands is Take Six. Anybody else a Take Six fan? If you haven't ever heard of them, you should listen to them. You may or may not like their music. It's very specific. It's a jazz acapella version of gospel. But my goodness, are those guys good. And they, have, they sing in six-part harmony. There's six of them. That's why it's called Take Six. They've won 10 Grammys. That should tell you they're good at something. Unbelievable. But what's, what makes them so good is not just that each one of them has great voices or that they have good arrangements or anything like that. They've been together since college. They started singing together in a college bathroom back in the day because the acoustics were good. And they've, they've done it so much so long that they set each other free. When they're going, they're not, they know exactly where that song's going. They know exactly where it is. And so every one of them can ad lib at the same time. You never hear the same song the same way twice. It's unbelievable. So even if you don't, you should check them out. Even if you, it's not your favorite music, you will respect the harmony. Because that's how it works. Everybody knows exactly their part. They trust the other people how to do it. And they do that. So again, one more time. I'm just going to put the word up on the screen in Greek. You say it. That's it. It's, it's, a, it's a one another within a group. We're going to kind of review some of the things we've been through already. We're going to add a couple more ideas today. This is kind of the icing and the, the cherry on the top of this thing. Okay. But the dream is not just that we remember it. Let me say this one more time. The dream is that we live this. That everything else we talk about the rest of this year, this stuff is right in the middle of it and oozing out through it. We have marinated in this so much that this has become a part of us more than ever before. Say this with me if you would. We build one another up. And again, this is, this is the dream. It's like if you work out at a gym... And some of us just go and work out there and kind of do our own thing. We look up stuff. We try our best. Some people hire personal trainers. But especially if you had a personal trainer and you're paying them on top of your gym membership, you're not just doing that to feel good, are you? What are you expecting? Results. And that's how this works. That's exactly how this works. We build one another up. We're expecting change. We offer grace. We offer forgiveness. We offer patience and mercy and all of those things so that just like how God offers that to us, the people around us and we ourselves have enough chances to finally get it right. We show up day after day and do the same movements over and over and slowly increase the weight, hoping we're going to get stronger. Maybe some of that fat's going to disappear. Maybe some of those muscles are going to get better. We're expecting some sort of a change. And that's the idea behind this. We build one another up. 
There's a great verse in 1 Corinthians 6. Paul has just talked about a bunch of different people who identify themselves by the sins they're into, whether that's lying or whatever. They're just, hey, this is how I am. I'm just an arrogant person. I'm an angry person. Deal with it. Okay? And he says, and such were some of you. But you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord and in the spirit of our God. God expects a change. Does he give us mercy? You better. We'd have no chance. But he expects us. And part of that is we do this for each other. We encourage and motivate one another. Would you, would you say that out loud with me? We encourage and motivate one another. Let's go back to your personal trainer again. Or maybe it's just your buddy. Maybe it's just a random person who came up, saw you struggling to get that weight up. But they're going to be going, come on, do it. You got one more in you. You know what I'm talking about? And it's amazing how much you can do with somebody doing that. Or somebody spotting you just a little bit. Hey, I'm not touching that thing. I'm not touching it. I'm not touching it. You better lift it. There you go. It's amazing what can happen. And again, we're looking for results. But the beautiful thing is, it goes from being totally focused on ourselves, which is usually pretty miserable, to being focused on the other person. You're the personal trainer. Then you switch places and they're your personal trainer. But you're always focused on the other person. That's where the joy is. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 12, if one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now, you are the body of Christ. That's a plural. You, you, plural, are the body of Christ and individually members of it. And as this passage continues, he once again, there's so many of these passages where he starts outlining, here's how you treat one another, here's how you work together. The Spirit gives everybody different gifts. And then he wraps it up like this. This is the end of 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Do all possess gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? Those are all rhetorical questions. No, is the answer. But earnestly desire the higher gifts, and I will show you a still more excellent way. Obviously, there's... This gifting is important. This is central to all these teaching. What, what the Holy Spirit chooses which people get which gifts and how that works. All of that is important. We all need every part. We've established that. But what's the most excellent way? Does anybody know? Love. That's right. 1 Corinthians 12 comes right before 1 Corinthians 13. So it says, and I will show you still more excellent way. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but I have not love... I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. He starts unpacking all that and he starts telling us exactly what love looks like. Love is patient. Love is kind. It is not rude. It is not self-seeking. It keeps no record of wrongs. How many have heard this before? If we do this right, brothers and sisters, little by little, we, we start to realize every time that says love, it also is describing God. And if we really do it right, and we really do it long enough, we marinate in this truth long enough, it starts to describe us. We can go, you just happen to be on the front row. Claire is patient. Claire is kind. Are are you with me? She's shaking her hands, but her head. You get the idea though, right? This is how this works. We marinate in it. It becomes who we are. We live in love. So again, imagine we're looking at a big target. We're zooming in toward the middle here. 
the out, out, outer one is that we build one another up. We, we move in a little bit tighter. We submit to one another. That's harder. Mutual submission is harmony on a next level. Okay? You, we, you and I could get two or three notes and we can make this work. Not too long ago, we actually did this in class. Who remember? Who remember when we did this? We did this in this room and, and it was awesome. And just one day we did it. Um, but take six is a whole nother level. You know what I mean? They, they just, they, they know exactly where they're going. They give each other freedom within that. It's whole new, they're mutually submitting to one another. There's a lead singer, but the lead singer can't do anything if the guy going boom, boom, boom isn't doing his job. Do you know what I mean? Like, and they all switch places and they know exactly where those, it's not a, it's a, it's a unit. They work together and that's the beauty. That's how it works. Ephesians 5, 21 says, we submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And it's in the middle of a really important passage about how we all treat one another. After that, it starts giving us some specifics. And a lot of people get really hung up on those specifics. But if you keep coming back to Ephesians 5, 21, that's the key to that whole passage. Okay? Husbands love to look at that where it says their wives have to submit to them. Until they miss, <laughs> realize they've been missing, submit to one another. If your wife is a believer, you submit to her too. And the husbands have to look at that same passage and go, oh my goodness, I've got to love her like Christ loves the church. I've got to die for her. I've got to give her more grace than she's ever going to deserve ever. That takes it all to a whole new level. Because everybody's playing by this same thing. We submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. It's pretty simple. It's not easy. It's kind of like marinating something. You can just put the meat in there, but you got to know the right recipe. You got to know which meat goes well with which sauce. You got to know how to cook it after you're done. It, 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 but it's pretty simple, really. And at the end of the day, this is what happens. When we live this way, when we submit to one another, when we honor one another, when we do all these things that we've been exploring, it makes it easier for the Holy Spirit to produce his fruit in us. We on our own will never be able to produce that fruit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. We just can't squeeze hard enough and make that stuff ooze out. But the Holy Spirit just makes it come out naturally if we marinate marinate in him enough. This includes forgiving one another. Let's say this out loud. This one's a hard one. We forgive one another. And forgiveness, again, if you, if you missed that sermon, I hope you go back and listen to it later. It's everywhere where things are online. By the way, welcome to all the online people. I don't know if I said that earlier. But it's, the idea of forgiveness is actually setting ourselves free from the self-imposed responsibility to make sure somebody else pays for their sin. It's true. How many times have you finally gone to somebody and said, you know what, I forgive you for whatever that was. And they go, what? They don't even remember doing it to you. You're the one who's been miserable all these years. It sets you free and it sets you free for God to forgive you for your sins. This should be our habit. This is just how we are. It's oozed all the way through every part of us. 
What are people of God like? Well, we, we forgive one another. Second one, let's say this. We serve, we serve and bear with one another. We're constantly trying to be the personal trainer, the spotter, instead of always trying to get somebody else to personally train or spot us. We're constantly focused on them. And what happens after a while is we start realizing that we're helping other people clean up messes that we would have just condemned them for before. We're not telling them live in your mess and that's not really a mess. That doesn't really smell as bad as you think. It's all good. Just keep doing what you're doing. That's not what we're telling them. But we're helping them clean it up instead of just saying, hey, that's all you. I told you. You knew better. Does that make sense? And that's the most important thing. We start serving one another. We start bearing with one another. And the whole dynamic changes. Paul writes in Philippians 2, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. But in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Let me try that one more time and not stutter so badly. Do nothing from self-ambition or vain conceit, but in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. I've never claimed to be the ultimate theologian, but when I look at that, here's what that looks like. It looks like it says, do nothing from selfish ambition or vain conceit. That's just not part of us anymore. It can't be. And as much as it still is, that's where the grace and mercy and patience come in. But we've got to expect that change. That can't be us anymore. Peter writes, above all, keep loving one another earnestly. Since love covers over a multitude of sins. And this Greek word that we translate earnestly is ektene. And it... it, other places in the Bible, it's translated as reaching out. The reason is it's, it's, it's a ver- it, 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 I'll show you exactly what this means. If you had somebody you loved and you're on the edge of a cliff and they start falling off, are you just going to kind of casually kind of reach out to them? Hey, grab on if you can. Nope. Not if you really love them. And if you're the one falling off, are you going to be, hey, see if you can catch me? There's an earnestness. The person that's falling is like, help! Right? And the person who's trying to catch him is like, ah! Right? Because you're tra- this is life and death. That's what that word means. Earnest means it's life and death. You're reaching out in desperation. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly since love covers over a multitude of sins. You mess up, I reach out to you desperately because I can't bear to lose you from the body of Christ. I mess up, you reach out to me desperately because you can't bear to lose me. You're falling away, you reach out desperately and say, catch me. This is how it works. There's a great book called Outliers. Someone gifted that to me, and it's, it's great. It's by Malcolm Gladwell. has a lot of wonderful things to say, and I highly recommend it. I'll actually give you a good idea from it in a moment. But one of the things he kind of gets wrong is he, he, he names one of his concepts the Matthew effect. And he names it after a misquote from Jesus. Uh, what he's talking about in the book is that almost, almost without exception... 
Even people that we see of as really individual success stories are standing on top of lots and lots of people, even generations of things that have happened that allowed them to have the opportunities they took advantage of. And that uh, uh, when we look at the idea of success, when we look at the idea of actually trying to accomplish something that matters, it always takes a team. And again, I 100% agree with that. But the verse he names it from is where Jesus said, those who have will be given more, and those who do not have, even what they have will be taken away. And he says, see, it's even in the Bible. (laughs) That's not what Jesus was talking about. Reminds me of Snoopy. I told you Snoopy'd come into this. Uh, One of my favorite, I love Snoopy, Charlie Brown. I I love all those cartoons. One of my favorites is when he starts typing stuff out on his doghouse. And he starts, especially when he starts typing out um, theology. One time he's up there and he's typing away. And he types out a little snippet from a verse in Ecclesiastes chapter 9 that says, A living dog is better than a dead lion. And Charlie Brown walks by and he says, so what do you think that means? And Snoopy says, I don't know, but I agree with it. (laughs) And I think that's the danger that we all have is sometimes we see this one verse, this one idea of scripture, and we make a whole new idea out of it. We forget the whole rest of the Bible. We forget the whole thing. We're trying to say something really good. We try to make a verse say that, and maybe it really doesn't. And, and I think that's what happens with a lot of these lay loan verses. That's one of the reasons we've been focusing on this. I said this at the beginning. I hope you heard it. I'll say it one more time. Of course, we should love and forgive and show mercy and bear with people who aren't even in the kingdom of God. But the reason these ones say one another is because we're really the only people we can really expect that to come back from. So many times we're tempted to be more judgmental, more angry, less forgiving, less merciful with people who aren't even unbelievers. They're not even playing by the same rules. It's like you're on a basketball team and you're mad at all the people in town who didn't show up for practice. (laughs) The only people that need to show up for practice is the people on your team. Does that make sense? You understand what I'm trying to say? And that's that's why we've got to make sure this is what we expect from each other. This is who we are. This is what we do. This is our identity. And then collectively we reach that out. And just like marinated meat smells so good, people can't help but at least be curious. Even vegetarians are going to go, well, that one's not bad. (laughs) Won't eat it with you, but that's pretty good. That smells good, right? It's the same thing. If we get this right, people are going to be interested in Jesus. People are going to want some of what we have. And that's what that passage in Matthew that Malcolm Gladwell is actually talking about. It's Jesus' story about the parable of the talents. And what that really is about is that one of these days we're all going to be held accountable for what he's given us. Our individual giftings, our resources, our relationships, our money, our time, our health, whatever it is, when he comes back, He's going to say, hey, so what'd you do with that? And the best way to get the best results out of whatever he gives all of us is to use it all collectively. Does this sound like a broken record just a little bit? Probably. It's okay. This is my last chance to say this in this series. I'm trying to make sure it sticks. I'm going to say it over and over. 
We each have a part to play. When we all play that part as best as we can, the whole body moves ahead exponentially. When we spend all of our time wishing somebody else was doing their part, whatever else, when we're all focused on ourselves, why doesn't anybody like me? We, we missed it. And the whole body doesn't actually move ahead. It's like we're paralyzed. We're just kind of having a seizure or something. This person's trying to do something. This person doesn't want to. The whole body has to work together. Which leads us to the bullseye of where we're at today, how we're wrapping this whole thing up. If you would say these words with me, we honor one another. One more time. We honor one another. The concept of honor, it means a bunch of different things. There's layers there. I mean, if you have honor, you're honest, you keep your word. It means those things. When you honor someone else, you're expecting those good things from them. But even more, here's what this means. You're respecting that they're playing the part God gave them. And if they happen to be one of your leaders, you respect that. Unless they try to lead you away from God, unless they're wrong. Does that connect? And and, and if, if you're part of the body of Christ and you're my brother and my sister, and I can't treat you with respect when we might disagree over something, I really have missed the entire point. I have to honor you as my brother or my sister. Are we going to need to talk about some things? And over time, you're going to correct me on some things because I'll need it and I'll need to correct you on some things? Absolutely. But we honor one another, first and foremost, as brothers and sisters in Christ. And when we reach out to people in the world who don't know Jesus, who don't even want to yet, if we don't honor them at least as someone who was originally created in the image of God, somebody that Jesus died for, Somebody who has the same potential to become like Jesus as we do if they choose to marinate in it like we do. If we don't start by treating them with that kind of honor and respect just because of who God made them, we're going to chase them away. We're going to hurt their feelings for no good reason. If they want to be part of the team, of course they have to play by the rules. Of course, they have to show up to practice. They have to be played by these rules of the team, just like we do. But before then, we at least start by honoring them as fellow human beings, fellow image bearers, no matter how twisted that image has become in them or in us. Paul says, love one another, this is back to the body of Christ again, with brotherly affection. Pay attention to this. This is the only time... In any of these one another passages that says you should compete about something, you should try to get better than the other person. Love one another with brotherly affection, outdo one another in showing honor. No, you go first. (laughs) No, you go first. No, you're the best. And I don't mean in a cheesy, dumb way. I mean, for real, we should always be trying to be the most team player of the team players. We should respect that somebody's role is just as crucial as ours. In Ephesians, Paul writes, rather, speaking the truth in love, we collectively are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. 
Peter writes, humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he might exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. What happens when all of us are going the same direction? We can't help but find some unity. If you've been on a long road trip and there's a bunch of strangers, but after a while you start realizing that's the people we just saw at the gas station. That's the people that just ate at Cracker Barrel like we just did. Oh, there's that green car again. You know what I'm talking about? And that, that it just happens. You realize you're going, you, you, you have this sense of unity without even trying to have unity. You're just trying to focus. So when we submit to God and then we submit to one another out of reverence for Christ, it just gets easier. But whenever we start lolling back just a little bit, that's when it gets dangerous. Because the devil's strategy is to pick us off when we start separating just a little bit. Peter says it like this. In the same passage that we just read, he continues. Be sober-minded and be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of sufferings are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. These days it's so easy to look stuff like that. Look it up on YouTube if you don't believe me. But watch some lions hunting. Just look at, just Google it. Lions hunting. They, they wait for the stragglers. They'll chase a whole herd and they're not going to even try to jump in the middle. They wait till somebody veers off. Scared of that roaring. Boom. That's the one they take out. Jesus has the opposite strategy. Jesus not only modeled it for us, he commanded it, he taught it, he taught his followers to teach it, and he prayed for it. Listen what he prayed for us the night, before, the night he went into his suffering, the night he was arrested, the night the crucifixion and resurrection all began. He, he's praying in the room with the disciples that he had been leading for all those years, and he's praying for us. He says, I do not ask for these only, the disciples in the room, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. That's us. That they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you. And that they may also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. This is his strategy. That we get really good at being one. And not only is that going to help us be one and all go the right direction, it's going to help other people join the herd as we go. John also continues that and writes this. These are still the words of Jesus. He watched it. He heard it. He remembered it. He writes it down. This is still Jesus talking. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them that they may be one even as we are one. I in them and you in me. That they may become perfectly one. So that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. So here's how we're going to wrap this up. One more time, we'll go through these three big ideas. I hope this encapsulates all of it for you. The first one is that we harmonize with each other. And one more time, we're going to do a harmony. But this time, we're actually going to sing a worship song. Okay, so I'm not going to direct traffic here. I'm going to let you pick out who you are. Some of you already know the song. Sing it really loud. Don't want to spend a lot of time teaching the song, but we're going to worship God in three parts. OK, 
okay? If you've got a low voice, mostly guys, there's some ladies out there, you know who you are, okay? Sing this part. Holy is the Lord. Holy is the Lord. You're just going to loop that for a while till I tell you different. Let's try this. Holy is the Lord. Holy is the Lord. Okay? Everybody, by the end of the song, is going to sing this part. And if you've got a voice somewhere in the middle, you can, when, when I tell you, you'll just, you'll just sing this the whole time. Okay? It goes like this. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Okay, now here's how this harmony thing starts working, okay? The low voice people, we're going to get you started. Everybody else is going to sing this part. After we practice that, we'll add one more part. You'll see where this is going, okay? So low voice people, I'll give you two. Holy is the Lord, you keep that going. And everybody else jump in and sing the middle part. Okay, here we go. Holy is the Lord. Holy is the Lord. Keep that going. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Oh. See what's going on there? We got two separate things going, but they match. They're going, they're putting something together. So here, anybody with high voices, mostly ladies, but I'm one of the guys that got the higher voice. So let's just go with it. Okay, here we go. You're going to sing this part with me. Oh, holy is the Lord. So holy is the Lord God Almighty. Oh, holy is the Lord, so holy is the Lord God Almighty. Okay, now we're going to layer all three of those, and then at the end we're going to come back and just sing the middle part together. Okay, here we go. Holy is the Lord, holy is the Lord. Keep that going. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Keep that going. Oh, holy is the Lord, so holy is the Lord. God Almighty, oh, holy is the Lord, so holy is the Lord God Almighty, and everybody, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come, one more time. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. See how that works? 
That's the beauty of harmony. That's how it works. We sing distinct parts, but we sing them together. We submit to one another. We stay on pitch. We stay on rhythm. We work together. And here we go. Something amazing happens that could never happen alone. So we harmonize with one another. We submit to one another, mostly because that we are submitting to Christ and his authority. And that's why we submit to his designs. That's why we submit to one another. It's out of reverence for Christ. But the bullseye of this, here we go. We honor one another. So let's get really practical with this this morning. We've got some new faces here this morning. You guys are so welcome, every one of you. Thank you for joining us today. Let me tell you, we have a very friendly church, but we also really love each other. We don't intentionally sub each other, but sometimes we're just so happy to see each other, we don't notice. Brothers and sisters, I'm asking you to honor all the new people this morning just by looking around, making sure that you say hi to them. If you're a believer and you've got a job somewhere, you're at school you're interacting with anybody who's not a believer in any way this week, would you honor them as an image bearer instead of stressing over just how twisted and broken that image has gotten in them? Show them what it's supposed to look like. Maybe team up with some other believers and reach out to that person in a loving way. Show them what that's going to look like. If you've got another believer that you've got a problem with, would you honor them enough to go to them and talk to them about it and try to work that out or at least just forgive them and let it go. Stop thinking that you're the one who has to straighten them out. You're the one who has to make them pay. If you're struggling to submit to somebody else, would you honor them out of reverence for Christ? If somebody else is struggling to submit to you, would you honor them as a fellow human being and we all struggle with that? Give them a little bit more grace. One way or another, if the church is going to grow, I don't just mean Morrison Hill, I mean the capital C, the church of God, God's church in this world. His people have to be one. We have to get these things right. We have to treat one another these ways. That's what's going to attract other people to Jesus. And that's our responsibility on this earth. This morning, I don't know what God's telling you specifically to do, but we're going to, as we usually do, we're going to have a song. We're going to ask you to make that choice public if you're willing to, and I ask you to do that. If if you'd like to come forward to pray, you can. Stay where you are. Do what you need to. If it needs to be public for any reason, I'll be right there. Come talk to me. Let's all stand and worship God together.